Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Good morning, GCC. Uh, my name is Jason Patterson. I am the Director of Family Ministries here at GCC. And first of all, I just want to welcome everyone uh, to this streaming Sunday service. Uh, good morning. Uh, if there are any who are not a part of our church and you're, you're attending or you're streaming for the first time, welcome. We love that you're here. Uh, we know this is a weird situation with the freeze and we are just so thankful that you have chosen to spend your Sunday morning with us uh, here at GCC worshiping uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so um, with that, we're going to jump in and continue our, our series, Saints and Society, on 1 Corinthians. Um, we've been looking at how the church operates, and Paul is speaking into this church in Corinth. And he's asking the question, what is a healthy church? And so we're going to ask that question today within the context of a mature Christian. We're going to ask that question in the context of gifts. And we're going to ask that question in the context of what does an orderly church service look like? So um, we're going to start with a quick story from Mark Dever in his book, What is a Healthy Church? Nose and hand were sitting in the church pew talking. The morning service, led by ear and mouth, had just ended. And hand was telling nose that he and his family had decided to look for a different church. Really? Nose responded to Han's news. Why? Oh, I don't know, Han said, looking down. He was usually slower to speak than most members of the church. I guess it's because the church doesn't have what Mrs. Hand and I are looking for. Well, what are you looking for in a church? Nose asked. The tone in which he spoke these words was sympathetic. But even as he was speaking, he knew that he would dismiss Hans' answer. If Hans couldn't see that Nose and the rest of the leadership were pointing the church in the right direction, the body could do without him. Han had to think before answering. He and Mrs. Hand liked Pastor Mouth and his family, and Minister of Music here meant well. Well, I guess we're looking for a place where people are more like us, Hand finally stammered. This little story is, is it's, it's talking about the hands and the feet and, and, and our roles in the church. And so uh, today we are going to, again, we're going to look at, you know, how does this, how does this thing, the church, work? Um, the main point, the big idea today is that the hands and feet strive to grow in gospel maturity and order, both individually and corporately. So it's the hands and feet strive to grow in gospel maturity and order, both individually and corporately. So we're going to spend time in three different sections of scripture. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, the first is verse 20, and the title for that section is a foundation of maturity, foundation of maturity. Second section is 21 through 25. Uh, we're going to look at gifts as blessing and curses for both unbelievers and believers. And then we're going to look at verses 26 through 40 
the God of order orders order. And I've stolen that from Sandy Wilson, who is a, a pastor in the Presbyterian church. So let's jump in. We're going to read the text today. So it's again, 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 20 and ending in verse 40. So open there with me. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and all, if all prophecy, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the, woman, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only one, ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Thanks be to God for his words. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you that we get to gather uh, even remotely and we can, we can study your word together. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that the word goes out and we know that it does not return void, that it goes out and it changes lives. And I pray, Lord, that today the word will transform hearts uh, and sanctify and build up the church body. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. May we just bring glory to your name and enjoy you forever. Amen.
All right, so we are looking at a pretty big chunk of text. Uh, we're going to start out in verse 20. So verse 20 says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your mind, thinking be mature. Be mature. So this is Paul. He is, he is writing to this church, and he's written the two letters. This is the first. And he's writing to this church to help them along. Uh, there's things going on in the church. There's immaturity, but they believe they're very mature. And so Paul here is rebuking them. He's rebuking them. He softens it by starting out by saying, brothers, brothers. This would be like you or I saying, I love you, but. So we're softening the blow. We know that we're saying something that could be taken very harshly, but we, we love the person. We know that Paul, throughout this, is seasoning it with love. We look back at verse 14.1. He talks about love. And he's trying to love his brothers and sisters in the church. He talks about this church and their maturity, and he compares it to the maturity of the thinking of a child. I work in kids' ministry here. Um, that's part of what I oversee. Uh, I'm always entertained by stories from kids' ministry. Um, this, I, I think of a story from previously in my ministry experience where uh, this ministry leader in kids was working and he, they were teaching on the Trinity and he was really excited and he really got into it. He thought he did a great job. The pastor's child was in this class and, and the pastor's child goes to their parent, goes to the mother and the mother asks, you know, what did you learn today? And the child says, we learned that there are, we worship three gods. And the mom's like, what? And goes to the, the leader and asks him and, and that was not what he had intended to teach, but the thinking of that child was not in a place where they could really comprehend that God is one and in three persons. And so Paul here is saying, you need to think and you need to think maturely. So what do, what do we need to be mature in our faith? What do Christians need? I think there's many answers to this. Uh, we need to have a willing heart. We need to uh, show grace to one another. Uh, we need to push into the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And I say yes and amen to all of these things. However, there's one thing that we absolutely need that we cannot mature as a Christian without. I coach basketball and I love to ask this question. No matter if it's a kid's camp or I'm working with my college athletes, it's you're a scorer, right? Okay, yes, you're a scorer. You, you are, you can put the ball in the hoop. What is the one thing that you have to have to score? And without question, I get, you have to have a good jump shot. You have to move well. You have to be athletic. You get all of these different answers. When in reality, I'm looking for the foundational answer of you just need the ball. You need the ball. And so for us as Christians, we need the gospel. We need the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And so the gospel is simply this, that Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected. He lived so that he could empathize with us. He died for our sins, sins that were created when Adam and Eve rebelled against God 
at the beginning when they created a chasm. They created a gap between God and man. And he was resurrected. He was resurrected, and that meant that God had accepted the payment for our sins and has opened the door for us to be in reconciled, right, redeemed relationship with God. So that's simply the gospel. We need to, and to believers, this is the gospel. Here's how this works with maturity. We need to apply the gospel every single day, every single day. We never move beyond this. This, the gospel is the A to Z of Christian faith. We never move beyond it. There's not an advanced Christian. There is a Christian who his life is founded on the gospel. And this equals maturity in us every single day. Paul then moves on. So we're looking through the lens of maturity, through the gospel at these texts. I want, I want to be careful here because th this text lends itself to, uh, it can be preached as moralism or legalism. And so what that means is that, that it's not about the gospel. It's not about being changed. It's about following rules and being a good moral person, which are good things. But these flow out of the gospel and our maturity that comes out of that. So Paul moves in uh, to our second uh, uh, piece of scripture, verses 21 through 25. It says this. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for believers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time defining prophecy uh, and tongues here. Uh, Rick did a great job last week really looking at, at prophecy and tongues. And so I would commend you to go look at that sermon um, because this is a lot of things are assumed here. Um, so what's happening is, is that Paul is, is he's referencing the Old Testament. Um, he's referencing Isaiah 28, 11 through 13. So what happens in this particular text is that God is disciplining his people. And the Assyrians, a people of a strange tongue, are going to come in and conquer them. They're going to come in and conquer them. And so what we see here with tongues and with prophecy is that these gifts can be both a blessing and a curse, or a blessing or a curse. And we see it throughout the scriptures. It can go both ways. Here, tongues is a curse to the unbeliever. If they come in, they never hear the good news. All they hear is chaos, because they can't understand. They don't understand these tongues. And then we look at prophecy, and prophecy, yes, it's a, it's a blessing to the believer as well, but it's also a blessing to the unbeliever because the unbeliever can understand what is being taught. They can see the gospel. I think it's a very common story that we see uh, in, in churches is that it's very common for folks to come and say, I really felt like God was speaking to me through a, a song or a sermon or a reading of scripture. 
And, I, and we see that here in the intelligible use of language and the prophetic preaching. The, the, an example of this blessing and curse from the Old Testament that I think of that has both blessing and curse is the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus 14. We see God part this sea. Moses takes Israel through. It's a blessing for them. Well, Egypt is chasing them. They go in and the waters close on them. It is a curse. It is a judgment for them. So we see that, that, that these gifts can be both a blessing and a curse. And I pray that we would strive to make them a blessing. So church, what this means for you is that as we're talking to one another, as words are coming from the, the, the sermon from the front, they need to be intelligible. The language needs to be understandable. Uh, we need to not speak in Christianese using words that only those within the Christian bubble know. We need to include language so that the unbeliever understands what's happening. And I pray those of you who, who, are, who are listening in who may not love Jesus, maybe you're just checking out GCC. Maybe you just have questions. I pray that this community can be attracted to you because we're really speaking the truth of the Bible and the gospel. Paul then moves into our last section. Uh, our last section is, is 26 through 40. Uh, we're not going to read the whole thing here for time. Uh, but what, what's going on is that this is the God of order orders order. And that's from Sandy Wilson. Um, it, it's, there's three points here. We're going to see church order. We're going to see creational order. And we're going to see order and authority. So we first, the, the, the text here that's super important, that kind of ties it all together is verse 33, and it's the first half. It says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So, so Paul here is getting at the order of the church. We've got the church body maturing in the gospel, um, exercising these gifts, and there's an order to it. There is an order to it. So what we see here is... It's a beautiful thing, the church in order. Uh, I, I lived in California for a number of years. And when I first moved to California, I, a number of my friends were at a particular church. And I went into this church and there were, it was madness. It was chaos. There were holy laughter, which if you've never seen it, is quite um, odd. It's one person starts laughing in the spirit and they touch another person and it spreads throughout. Uh, there were things like fire tunnels where you walk between everyone and the Holy Spirit does things. And, and, you know, you would see people getting slain in the spirit. And I love my charismatic brothers and sisters, uh, but I think one of the things that they miss, they, they get some things right. They get the joy. They get the enthusiasm for Christ. They get that right. But what they get wrong is that there's not a lot of order. You know, there were times where I went to this particular church and the name of Jesus was not spoken. The name of Jesus was not spoken. There was no order to it. So what we see here in verse 26, we see that all these things are for the building up of the church, the building up. Have you ever said of a church, I'm not getting much out of this? That's the wrong heart orientation. The heart orientation that we see in 26 
which says, when then, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all be done for building up. So building up. This is a heart orientation of giving within the church. So I think the three ways that we can think about this are through time, treasure, and talents. Time is just, are we willing to sacrifice our time for the building up of the church? Uh, there are times when I would much rather go watch the Seahawks on Sunday than come to church. But I know that I want to build up the church. I know the church is important. So I sacrifice that desire to come to church. Uh, then we think about treasures. This is another sacrifice. Are we sacrificially giving? Are we sacrificially giving what we make at our nine to fives? Are we giving that to the church? Are we giving that to missionaries? Are we giving that to organizations that we know are doing gospel work? And finally, talents. And I want to sit on this for a second. Some of the, there, there's a couple gift lists that we see. And so these are ways in which we can give back to the church. And so we see administration. And when I think of administration in this church, I think of Hunter. Hunter is behind the scenes working on all kinds of things. I think of Nathan, who is also behind the scenes. He's recording this right now. And this is our second take, second day of recording. And he has come back and he is serving and giving his time to be here. I think of helps, which in the church is the guy with the pickup truck. So I think of Paul. I think of DJ. And they're just willingness to give up and to help with their pickup trucks. I think of hospitality. And when I think of hospitality, I think of my lovely wife, Robin. She just loves to have people over. She loves to cook for them. She loves to be around people and just love them. I think of teaching. I think of Rick. I think of Rick and teaching. I think of the groups that we don't always see, whether it's the preaching group cohort, the gospel cohort. There are all of these times where Rick is teaching and investing in the people. And then I think of wisdom. And I think of Wally and I think of Nita. And I think of the years that they have lived as faithful gospel messengers. So church, are we, are we evaluating? Are we looking at our giving? Are we giving our time, our treasure, and most importantly, our talents to the church? Paul then moves on. Uh, he explains a little bit more as to what's going on in the church and church order. Uh, and then he gets to verse 29, which says this. Uh, and I'm just going to read the latter half. And let the others weigh what is said. So we're talking about prophecy. That's the context here. What others, what, the weighing of what is said. This, the congregation here is in focus. The congregation, the church, is to weigh what is said with prophecy. So this means a couple things. We need to test everything. We see in 1 John 1, 4, we see in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, test everything. Test it. This is also not a thus saith the Lord in this prophecy. This is clear. So we have to test this. And my broader, broader application for this, obviously this is, this is referring just to what's happening from a prophetic uh, perspective in the church. But I think there's a broader principle here. We need to examine what we are taking in. Uh, we need to examine whether what we're taking in has elevated itself 
to the level of the word of God. Because our only authority that we're going to see at the end of this is the word of God. It is authoritative. And prophecy, according to this text, is not authoritative. It can be good. It can be great. It can be true. But what Paul is saying here is that we need to examine not only what's happening here, but what we're taking in. So it does your devotional say it is a revelation from God? Does the music that you listen to say it is a new revelation? And are those pastors that you might be listening to saying the same thing? Um, side note, I, I personally really believe that the main way that we are being fed should be through the local church and through our body and through the elders. So um, be careful with what you're listening to, reading, and, and really, you know, weigh it. Paul then moves on to probably the most difficult text in this whole section. It says this. This is 33 to 35. So this section will be on creational order. Um, 33 to 35. 33b to 35. And in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So, whenever we come to a text like this, we need to ask the question, what is going on here? What's going on? We know from previous things Paul has said that he's actually a revolutionary when it comes to the role of women in this culture. We see in Genesis, or Galatians rather, 3.28 and 29, there's no male or female, all are heirs. We see in 1 Corinthians 11.5, which is a couple chapters before this, that but every wife who prays and prophesies. So what's happening here? This is not total silence. This is not total silence. Remember the context here is prophecy and order. And so within the, the context of prophecy, I think there is some constraint here. Uh, I don't know what that means exactly, but there is some constraint. I also think it points at the creational order. So what that means is that God created man and woman equally, equally, yet with distinct roles. So the man and the woman have distinct roles in marriage, in the church, and so I think that's what Paul is getting at here. As far as application, I hope that you saw that we went to other scripture to really interpret what's going on here. So there's, there is the idea that scripture interprets scripture. It would be really easy to take this text, rip it out of context. So let's say um, I am not a Christian. I don't like Christians. I want to rip something out and I want to say Christians believe this. This is a, a text that can be used for that. But what's happening is that we need what, what we need to do is look at other scripture because it will tell us, it will give us interpretation for what is happening. Uh, my favorite example of this is Jeremiah 29, 11. We see it on mugs. We see it uh, all over the place. It's on people's Instagram tags. Uh, and it, it basically says that God has a plan for, for you. Okay, and that's 
That's, I believe that is true. But within the context of that particular verse, if you look one verse before, it says that that won't happen for 70 years. I remember he's speaking to a specific people. So everyone in that generation that Jeremiah is speaking to, who is, not a, who is an adult, will be dead by the time this comes to pass. And I'm not saying that, that God doesn't have a plan for you. He, he certainly does. Um, but we just need to be careful with how we look at Scripture and interpret Scripture. Paul then moves on into the third section here. Uh, so, so far we've had church order. Uh, we've had uh, creational order. And now we're looking at order in, in authority. So Paul really lays the hammer down here. He appeals to his own authority to this church. He says, submit or remove yourself. That's a hard word to hear sometimes. And so the question is, we're not in the church in Corinth. We're not, Paul is no longer alive. How do we apply this to ourselves? How, if the Corinthians were submitting to Paul, who do we submit now submit to? So first, we're going to submit to the word of God. We're going to submit to the word of God. And then secondly, we're going to commit and submit to the church. And so one of the beautiful things about being a member of a church is that it's not just a membership. You know, if, if I get a membership at the DAC, I pay them and they give me things. So I expect that the pool will be warm. I expect that there will be towels. But there's really no expectation on me. If I don't show up for two months, they don't care. The church is different. The commitment and the submission to the church is different. Because, yes, we get things from the church. Yes, we hear the word of God. Yes, and amen. That's great. And we get all of these things. But we're also, there's an expectation on us. We're expected to be active in the church. We're expected to submit to scripture, submit to the authorities. And so that is what I think is happening here. And so uh, as, we, as we conclude, uh, let, let's go back to the beginning. So our, the big idea here is that the hands and feet strive to grow in gospel maturity and order, both individually and corporately. Both individually and corporately. So let's circle back to some of our applications as we go. First, foundation is the gospel. Everything flows out of the gospel. And that means that it's not moralistic, it's not legalistic in the way that we interpret this scripture. It flows out of a changed, transformed heart. Second, we're, we need to speak in intelligible words. We need to draw those who don't know Christ in a way that they can understand. So it's a blessing. And then finally, our orientation needs to be one of just giving back to the church, submitting to the church, and giving back what God has given us as far as gifts. And so church, saints, uh, I know we're in a weird season, and I pray that each and every one of you will be looking to the gospel, looking at it every single day, studying God's word, praying, living in community, and finding ways in which we can give back our talents 
to the church. Uh, we love you guys. Uh, we, we are so excited to get back together whenever that may be. Um, but with that, we, we, we want to say that we do love you. We are here for you. If you need anything, if you need anything uh, financially, spiritually, emotionally, please, please, please let the church know. That's what we're here for in times like this. Uh, so with that, I, I just want to pray. And um, yeah, you guys, hope you guys have a great Sunday. So uh, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we just ask that we can stand firmly on the gospel, that we can strive to grow in the gospel, knowing that you have already done all of the work that we need on the cross. And Lord, that we can identify ways in which we can give our time, our treasure, and our talent to the church. And Lord, I pray that we strive to read the word and read it well and use scripture to interpret scripture. And God, finally, I pray that we submit to the word of God and we submit to the local church. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. May we just bring glory to your name and enjoy you in everything that we do. Amen.